0: Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, with author, pastor, and Bible teacher, Mike Beaumont, who's talking to David Tabner.
1: These next two books in the Old Testament, Habakkuk and Zephaniah, two very short books. Wouldn't take you very long to read them, I wouldn't have thought, Mike, but I guess, as always, packed with great truth. So let's just take them one at a time. Habakkuk, first of all, or Habakkuk?
0: Is there a correct pronunciation? The Hebrew is probably nearer Habakkuk, but I think it's so common in the West to call him Habakkuk. And you and I will probably slip between the two in our conversation, I've no doubt, a bit like Haggai and Haggai. So where was Habakkuk based? Well, do you know what? We really know nothing about him at all. But we get little hints inside the text. I mean, often, as we've seen in previous prophets, we often get a historical or geographical location. This book simply begins with the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. But in chapter 1, verse 6, he has these words I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. So it was clearly at that time when the Babylonians were growing in power and the Assyrians were declining in their power. So it's definitely in, in Judah. It's probably either during King Josiah's reign, which is 640 to 609 BC, possibly King Jehoiakim's reign just after that, But certainly before the collapse of the Assyrian Empire to the Babylonians in uh, 605 BC. So, So I would say in Judah, probably just a little bit before 605 BC, when Habakkuk is struggling with interpreting what's going on on the world stage.
1: So, I mean, like most other books of prophecy, is this a message for a particular people?
0: Well, The thing about this book is it really stands out as different from really all the other books of prophecy. All of the others contain messages from God to either Israel or Judah or sometimes other nations like Assyria or Edom. Habakkuk stands out because it contains no prophecy at all (laughs) in the sense that we would understand that word normally. Actually, what it is is rather a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And it, it almost sounds like a psalm at times in in the way that it reads. So it, it's not prophetic in the sense that we've seen with all the other books. It is, of course, prophetic in that it's addressed into a situation and is dealing with questions that people really were asking at that time.
1: When you say it's a bit like a psalm, do you mean like a responsive psalm?
0: No, more in terms of its flow and, and how it's structured and the sort of things that it looks at, it, it seems to almost be like more in the wisdom category of literature rather than a, a, a prophecy. How does it begin? It's a dialogue between Habakkuk and God, and it begins with a good old moan. I wonder if you've ever moaned at God. It's all right. This book shows us that you are allowed to moan with God and to tell him what you were thinking and to ask him all your difficult question. So the the book begins with a question that I think probably many of us have asked, which is, God, why haven't you answered my prayers yet? (laughs) Uh, It starts with these words, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. God, I've been praying, 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 and and there, there seems to be no answer. And what is it that he's been praying well he goes on to tell us in chapter one why is there so much sin around in judah and yet it goes unpunished and you just don't answer that question and so god gives him his answer from chapter one verse five and he says well actually i'm about to do something in your days that you wouldn't believe even if i told you but i will tell you i'm raising up babylon to bring judgment. Uh, the implication there is, I think, to bring judgment, his judgment on Assyria that had been so cruel. Now, all that that does is to lead Habakkuk to have yet another question. It's funny, isn't it? how When God gives us answers, sometimes we just end up with more questions. So his next question in uh, from verse 12 of chapter one is, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, God. How can a holy God like you use an unholy nation like Babylon? Reasonable question. Well, it is. And he says, I'm going to stand here until I get an answer. Uh, In chapter two, he says, I'll stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts and I'll look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. That's often used out of context as a sort of, you know, uh, a verse for intercessors who are going to keep coming to God and praying and seeking him. But in context, it really is a... It's a bit of a, you know, I jolly well deserve an answer to this, God. And I'm going to stand here until you give it to me. So God goes on to give him an answer. Uh, <laughs> and his answer is another one of those answers that we often get from God because it's not quite an answer. And God says, well, you see, Habakkuk, it's all about timing. He says, I want you to write down this revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. So it's easy to see. The idea of that is even a herald running by with it. Is that clear that you'd see it on his tablet as he ran by you? For the revelation awaits point appointed time. It speaks of the end. Now, by that, he's not meaning the end of the ages, meaning the end of this period. And it will not prove false, though it linger wait for it it will certainly come and will not delay so he's saying well i have got an answer but it's to do with timing and the answer will come and actually what you are going to have to do habakkuk and all the people in contrast to the puffed up king of babylon that he's going to use is to hang on in faith there's that well-known verse that he's picked up and used in the New Testament. The righteous will live by his faith. But I am at work. Things will happen. And one day I want you to know, and here's one of those great verses that many people know, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then the final chapter, chapter 3, Uh, begins with a prayer and ends with a testimony. So here's the interesting thing. Uh, This is a book that starts out with Habakkuk asking God a question, God giving some rather enigmatic answers, saying basically you'll just have to wait and see and trust me and hold on in faith And Habakkuk really gets no answer to his question at all. But like Job before him, what he has had is an encounter with God. And, you know, very often when we are facing difficult times and and things where we're asking God why, the answer we got is often not an answer, but what it is is an encounter with God. And it's like once we've met with God again, Once we know God is there and know it will be all right, then actually we don't need the answer that we thought we did when we started out. And that's exactly where this book goes. The questions that he asks at the beginning never get answered and in fact end up with an amazing declaration of trust and faith and waiting on God. It has just struck me, though,
1: that... God doesn't have a customer relations department. (laughs) If you've got a complaint, you can go to him directly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a good job he doesn't. Or we'd be waiting on the line for ever so long, wouldn't we? Being told that our call is important to him. No, he doesn't, David. You know, we can go straight to God with our questions, with our moans, with our complaints. The Bible's full of that. It's all over the place. But I think the important thing is, is when we go, we go with a readiness to get it off our chest. But then we actually stop and listen to what God has to say. And that might be an answer just in the still quietness as we sit and wait. It might be as we turn to our Bible reading passage for the day. That, by the way, is why it's so important to read the Bible consistently and regularly, whether you use something like, the UCB word for today or whether, you know, you steadily work through a book, but there's value in consistently reading through scripture day in, day out. Why? Because this amazing God of ours has an amazing way of making just the right passage turn up on just the right day. And when it does, you know, then that you've not wangled it. You know, you've not sort of thought, I need an answer, Lord. And then you're flipping through your Bible backwards and forwards till you get the answer you want. But if you just happen to turn to... Right, I've told you what I think. Let's turn to the work for today now in the UCB booklet. Right, oh my goodness, Lord. And you think of the mystery that someone who wrote this months before, when it was printed and then passed on and distributed, and just the right word is there for you just on the right day. So, yeah, no customer relations department. Take your complaint straight to God. Take your question straight to God. And then listen for what he's got to say. And sometimes he'll have an answer, and sometimes it will be, I have an answer, but I can't tell you yet. And sometimes it will be, you've just got to trust me. But having spent time in his presence, that's when we get renewed in our relationship with him and feel, do you know what, Lord? If you will be with me, if you will walk with me through this, then I can do it. Come on, Lord let's set off again on the day. And you said this third
1: chapter is something like that because it follows on from this dialogue that Habakkuk was having with God.
0: Yeah, and it's wonderful, and this really is very psalm-like at the end. It even says a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigionoth, which is one of the terms you sometimes find in the song, which might have been a sort of musical direction in, in some way or other. So sung, in fact. Yes. So we may well have sung this. And it starts out by saying, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Oh, God, renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then he, he goes on to remember Actually, it goes back to the events of the Exodus when God came in a theophany and a manifestation of his presence to rescue his people and to lead them on. And it's like, in, in the, you know, very often when, when we are waiting for an answer now, it's good to go back and remember what God has done for us in the past. And that's what he does here in this chapter. And having gone through this reminder of how God rescued his people, through the great exodus, this is how he ends. He says, I heard and my heart pounded and my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. He's clearly had some sort of encounter with God at this moment. And then he says, yeah, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. I'll leave it in your hands, Lord. I I know it's going to be tough, but I'll leave it in your hands. Then now listen to this. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour, and you think, oh, what a fantastic ending to this short book that is a declaration of confidence, an affirmation that he knows God is good and that good will come out. And Lord, you know, even if we're going through a tough time and we don't see all that we'd like to see, like the fig trees and the grapes and the olives, even if we've got no cattle, God, this I know that you will be with me. And I'm going to keep rejoicing in you. So a an ending of, of great confidence to a book that started with great questioning.
1: Yes, it's almost as if it's gone from a superficial moan to
0: a deep groan of praise. It is, isn't it? And it's all happened because he's come to God. <laughs> in three short chapters, things have been turned around for the simple reason he stopped and came to God. You know, very often we don't get answers because we just don't stop. You know, we are so busy today. And if only we would stop, yeah, pour out our hearts honestly to God. Tell him what we think, but then stop and listen and give him a few moments to speak to us. Who knows what we might hear and who knows what confidence we might gain to go into the day?
1: Well, let's see what we can learn from the book of Zephaniah. Another short book, just, what, three
0: chapters? Wouldn't take very long to read it. Not at all. But who was Zephaniah? Zephaniah was the son of Cushi, the son of Gadaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. Ooh, hang on. Hezekiah. We've come across him before in the history section of our Bible overviews. Hezekiah, that godly godly king who set his heart on the Lord. In other words, he was the, let's work this out, the great, great grandson of the godly King Hezekiah. He came from really good stock. Royal blood. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's interesting. His name, Zephaniah, means uh, the Lord is hidden or the Lord is protected. And some scholars have wondered, was it perhaps because he was born during, and it would fit the timing, born during the reign of Hezekiah's wicked son, Manasseh, and actually had to be either hidden away or God protected him because obviously kings had a way of getting rid of anybody who could be a threat to the throne in any way. So yeah, we don't know, but it may well have been that he was protected by God during those wicked days. But he came from great stock.
1: Interesting irony, then, that if he had been hidden, he now has a role that is very public as a prophet.
0: Yeah, isn't that interesting? That's really quite a turnaround. But isn't that how often God works? I mean, that's what he did with Jesus. Jesus was hidden for 30 years before he began his ministry. And, you know, one of my favorite verses in Isaiah is where God speaks through the prophet and and talks about taking an arrow and polishing the arrow. And that's what you did to make sure it was sharp and would fly to run strong and taking this polished arrow. And and you expect, of course, the prophecy to go on to say and put me in his bow and shot me out and use me. But he made me as a polished arrow and hid me in his quiver. And there are times when God has done things in our life and prepared our lives, but there are seasons when he hides us in the quiver, as it were, puts us in a place of obscurity until that moment he's ready to pull us out and fire us from his bow. And maybe that would speak to just someone who's listening today who feels that they've invested an awful lot in something, whether it's in the secular or the spiritual sphere, and just feel it's all wasted, wait God's time. And he was a guy who certainly waited God's time and who was then taken out and fired uh, from God's bow at just the right moment in the late 7th century BC in Judah.
1: And so, after that time of preparation, what was he then due to deliver?
0: <laughs> well, he was due to deliver a A tough word. His theme was one of the themes that we've seen many times now as we've looked at the prophetic books on this shelf of the Bible. It's that theme of the day of the Lord. Remember that day of God's intervention that they were expecting at the end of human history when God would come and deal with his enemies and establish his kingdom on earth centered in Jerusalem. And Zephaniah's message is that God is indeed coming, that day of the Lord. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly, he says in chapter 1, verse 14. But before they can get too excited by that, because for them that would have been thinking, he's coming in judgment to deal with all our enemies. This is great. He says, well, the day of the Lord is coming, but actually he's coming in judgment against his own people because of how we live. This this theme we've seen so many times of how they had plenty of religion, but no true relationship with God or with one another. And because of this, he says, be silent before the sovereign Lord for the day of the Lord is near. This is a moment of great solemnity. It's a time to take stock. He'll say in chapter 2 verse 3 to people seek the Lord all you humble of the land you who do what he commands seek righteousness seek humility perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger now you know any any good Jew expected to be protected from the day of the Lord's anger for the simple reason that they were part of his people And yet the prophets have made clear again and again, just being Jewish won't save you. It's heart relationship that God is looking for. So his appeal to his own people in Judah is to seek righteousness, to doing what's right, to seek humility. Then perhaps you'll be sheltered on this day of the Lord's anger when the great day of the Lord comes against us. So
1: just as he himself was being prepared... He's saying to the people, you need to be prepared for the day of the Lord.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it applied uh, at every level because every level of of society was getting affected. We we get a little glimpse of that in, in chapter three, where he says, woe to the city of oppressors. This is Jerusalem he's talking about. It's supposed to be the city where God dwells. He describes her as rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She doesn't draw near to be near her God. And, and then he specifies officials, prophets, priests, all of them are doing what is wrong. And, th- and therefore he calls upon all of them to change and, and to come and to wait before
1: the Lord. How important is it for us today to appreciate that we're waiting for the return of Christ and therefore we're not here just clicking
0: our heels, as it were. Do you know what? This theme of the day of the Lord is picked up in the New Testament and it's identified now with the return of Jesus. Jesus taught about this many times that at the end of human history, he would come back to this world, this time not, not in secret, but in great power and glory to take to himself those who trusted in him and and to remove all evil and to bring about God's new creation. And in the New Testament, the church is constantly called to live in the light of that return. You know it's fascinating, so often today, when Christians talk about the return of Jesus, if they do talk about it, and it's not always something that is talked about a lot, is it? Whenever the New Testament talks about the return of Jesus, it's not so that we can get into date finding. You know, so often today, preachers, Christian books are looking at events. You know, oh, coronavirus is that another sign Jesus is getting closer? Well, it might be, and you know, it might not be. But it is always not to get us date watching, but life watching, life changing. Today, so often Christians want to look at dates and times and look at some of the prophecies and is this happening in Israel? Is this happening in the world? Where has the gospel gone to? Is it getting closer? We're nearly there. Whereas in the New Testament, the focus is much more on the day of the Lord is coming. So get ready, live holy lives and actually share the good news with others because this is the only chance that they've got to respond to that. How does the book of Zephaniah finish? Well, it it finishes with actually great hope. I mean, it certainly starts with with great warning, but it lets us know that that judgment will not be uh, God's last word. He is going to restore a faithful remnant of his people as he calls them to wait upon him. Uh, Chapter three, verse nine says, then I will purify the lips of the peoples that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. Here's this vision of there being a time when people call on God. And actually, I've spoken several times through the prophets about the vertical and the horizontal dimensions. Both are in that verse that we might call on the Lord. There's the vertical. But serve him shoulder to shoulder, relationship with God's people. And there's this assurance that God will truly be with his people when his refining judgment has come. He calls upon them to respond. Uh, He reminds them, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion, Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord, your God, is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. What a powerful picture uh, that is. What a note to end on, really, that God is with you. He says, I've looked ahead, I've seen it. And after judgment comes this, after refining and purifying comes this. God is going to be with us. He is indeed mighty to save. And I love these images here because this is not a distant, cold God who's removed just moving figures around a chessboard of humanity. He'll take great delight in you. We see this again and again in the Bible. God's heart and passion and love for people. He'll take great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. The picture there in the Hebrew it is of a mum sort of, of taking a baby to her breast and and sort of going, shh, 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 you know, when it's distressed and rocking and patting it. And that's what God wants to do with each of us. It's what he does when we come to him now, as we put our faith in Jesus And he'll rejoice over you with singing. I love that. This thought that again comes out throughout the Bible. Do you know what? God actually likes us. God rejoices over us. I think some people find that hard to grasp sometimes that God could like me. You know, it's not. Yeah, I know he loved me and he sent Jesus to die for me, but it's it's a bit clinical. It's a bit removed. Now, listen, God likes you. God actually likes you, wants to rejoice over you with singing. Let's put it a different way. God likes you that much. He wants to sing a song over you. So he's not a God with a wagging finger. Not at all. He is a God who confronts us with our sin. And that's become clear throughout the book. And he's a God who calls us to live rightly, because if we really are in relationship with him, we will want to do that. Do you know, when we come back to him, especially when we recognise we've failed, there's no sort of wagging finger of, well, there you are. I told you that was wrong, didn't I? It, it is always in scripture, a heart of welcome, a heart of acceptance. And, and this fantastic picture here of a mum cuddling a baby, mum or dad delighting in their child, a, a singer composing a song over you. I mean, that thought I find fantastic that... God likes me enough to compose a song over me. You know, here on UCB, we hear lots of great songs of all different kinds and varieties. But, you know, they're general. They're about life. They're about God. But it's like here, God loves me enough that, that God's got a song that he's made up just over me and over the community that you're a part of. And that's an amazing picture, isn't it? So hope has the final word. Oh, yes. What more can I say to that? And really, that sums up so many of these prophets. There there are strong words. There is no doubt. Strong words, calling God's people back to live how they should, calling the nations to live how they should. But a constant reassurance that, that when we come back to him, there is, there's always hope. There's always rejoicing. There's always a plan. And our God is always there to welcome us and to take us on to the next stage of the exciting adventure with him. Mike Bowman has been talking to David Taverner. Listen to more episodes anytime. Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, from Genesis to Revelation. This is a United Christian Broadcasters production. For more about UCB, check out the website at ucb.co.uk.